0: Hey, everybody, this is Greg Pettix once again bringing you the Fantasy Comic Book Editor League. Uh, we're up to 1974 in our imaginary history of an imaginary comic book company edited by a real man, me, even though it's nothing's really being edited or published. But in my head, they're oh so real because I've been living with these in my head for quite a while now, definitely over 10 years' time. Um, maybe even 15 years I've had this comic book company in my head and I've been sharing year by year the history of this company and I will continue with 1974 Uh, not a lot of changes this year, gonna have a new title though, very excited about this one, once again just ripping off something that I want in my comic book company so this is a a character called Dragon Fist, and uh, as you can imagine, he's a martial arts hero. And uh, when I was a kid, I loved Iron Fist, and then later on, because it's a little more mature, I loved Shanghai Master of—I'm sorry, Shang Chi. When I was a kid, I was thought it was Shanghai, but Shang Chi Master of Kung Fu. And uh, part of the reason I loved that comic so much was uh, a lot of the issues in the first 50 issues were drawn by Paul Gullisey, an amazing artist. Uh, Came about in the early 70s, started drawing for Marvel Comics, pretty much exclusively for a while. Then he actually did some of the first independent comics, you know, from Eclipse. He did Saber, did lots of uh, kind of uh, his own stuff, but he always worked for the companies, cranked out a lot of stuff, even up to like the 2000s, still very high quality stuff. I recently saw some of his Catwoman Catwoman comics he did for DC, Ed Brubaker wrote him. God, he still got chops, that guy. Um, Not as good as he was in the 70s, though. I mean, God, that stuff is beautiful. If you ever have the chance to uh, read Master of Kung Fu, 70s, 80s Marvel comic, you should. Especially at the time, it was definitely a cut above your average superhero comic or anything published by Marvel. Written by a guy named Doug Bunch and uh, drawn by Gullacy a lot and others, but um, but this is going to be more superheroical looking because Shanghai just, Shang Chi just ran around in pajamas, red pajamas, kung fu pajamas. Dragon Fist is probably going to be more iron fisty, but still very uh a really fun, um, kung fu comic, martial arts comic, and of course is he's not just going to be run right of the mill. Martial artist. Because he's going to have a, a little something extra that makes him a superhero. And basically, it's just like Iron Fist. He's got a hand that can, like, get all fiery and go through a steel wall if he wants to. When he summons his chi. So that's Dragon Fist. Drawn by Paul Gullisey. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be nice. So, uh... I also want to say that, uh, you know, around this time... Um, we're going to even start mentioning writers for once. Uh, since 1940 uh, in our history, I've never really, all I've mentioned is artists for the most part. Um, some guys like Will Eisner were writer artists and Basil Wolverton and a few other guys. But for the most part, for the superhero comics, I'm just like, I don't know. Back then, there weren't that many good writers. And it's, you know, EC had some great stories. But as far as this kind of genre stuff, Marvel and DC, that stuff's pretty much all dreck. The so-called Golden Age, uh, most of the Silver Age. it's really not a lot of good writing there. But I imagine we've been going since 1940, raising the bar of what comics can be by just putting out all this quality shit with intelligence and respecting the intelligence of the readers who buy our comics. So I can imagine, you know, 24 years of that. It would have changed a generation. So I imagine a lot of little kids in the 40s would grow up reading this stuff, and definitely in the 50s, and be like, hey, I want to write good comics. Uh, to be a comic writer, you don't just write, like, superhero punches villain for four pages, and then he kisses a girl, and then he punches another villain. It's, uh, we would always have had good stories in our comics, uh, good characters, um, complex characters, shit like that. That's stuff that makes good fiction. So I don't know. In the 60s, there there'd be some great writers in our universe. Um, because they grew up reading good comics. Uh so, but you know, around the 70s in our universe, there were some great writers popping up at Marvel, slipping through the cracks, if you will, because you know, Marvel did everything to stifle any kind of individual voices. They were all about, ah, oh, just write Spider Man. Don't don't rock the boat. But around this time, we got guys like Don McGregor, um, Steve Gerber, Doug Munch even. Um, Not as weird as those other two. But still a solid scripter. And just a cut above. You know, as far as his characters, you know, they were were adults. They weren't these cardboard cut-out, one-dimensional characters. Maybe they had one and a half dimensions or two. I'm not talking Dostoevsky here, people. This is just, it was a pretty low bar. In reading comics growing up, it really, uh, we were just happy to get something a little different, and um, also wanted to talk about. Um, haven't been really talking about Amazing Weekly much, but because that's the, our comic that doesn't have to fit into continuity, and the artists would own their shit so they could do whatever the fuck they want. They wouldn't have to worry about, like, oh, does this fit into, I don't know, if he meets Swamp Beast, what'll happen, or the new gods. Because in the 70s, there were a lot of great characters like that, you know, showing up at Marvel and and Marvel Spotlight and Marvel Premiere, and DC had some kooky, like, short-run titles that... You know, totally were outside of any comic universe They were just fantasy stores, sci-fi So, um I was thinking, um Around this time, we'd start seeing those guys All being serialized in Amazing Weekly Like Deathlock Uh, Rich Buckler's creation from the From around, uh, 74, 76 And, you know, that was just a great concept Especially at the time, it was like Post-apocalyptic But, uh, not too far in the future And, um you know, definitely doesn't fit in the Marvel Universe. It didn't. But, you know, we'd have that series in Amazing Weekly. And he could do whatever the fuck he wanted. And things like Demon Hunter, another Buckler creation he made for Atlas Comics. There's a lot of Atlas Comics I would love to have. You know, like Wolf the Barbarian. One of my favorite Barbarian comics ever. uh, Created by, written and drawn by Larry Hama. Who went on to basically create the G.I. Joe comics with saved Marvel's ass in the 80s, sold more than anything. So, yeah, just just imagine any great title like that. We would have had an amazing weekly. Because all the best guys work for us. Because we treat them right. So, uh, yeah, that's 1974, except for we gotta get into uh, the annual, Amazing Tales annual for that year. and Kind of continuing this whole horror trend. Um... Not that this is really horror. Well, it kind of is. But The Invisible Man by H. G. Wells. And uh, we're going to get Ralph Reese to draw that. Ralph Reese. I don't know what the fuck that guy's story is. He was came around and maybe he had some stuff in the late 60s. But you saw him a lot in the early 70s. Always just popping up somewhere odd. A backup story. Uh, or in an anthology horror comic. He was so good though. Like, oh man. I don't know if he maybe was, his art was so like illustrative and fine that he couldn't crank it out. So he couldn't meet deadlines. But I don't even know if he ever did like a normal Marvel or DC comic ever. Um, I'm sure he did. I just can't think off the top of my head. He might do fill an issue here and there. I think he might have. I don't know, did Ghost Rider once or something. But yeah, Ralph Reese, really good. Kind of unsung. Because he didn't really do much. And, uh, but if you see his art, you'll be amazed. Like the early 70s. You know, there's all these hacks working for Marvel during SuperVillain team up in Marvel 2 and 1. These just wretched, you know, artists rushing to meet their deadlines, just hacking it out. And Ralph Reese, man, he was good. Really good. So that's going to be a beautiful comic. Invisible Man um okay 1975 let's move on so 1975 oh my god i'm embarrassed to say this but okay this is a big ripoff but i i kind of wanted to have like an x-men type title you know the new x-men because you know i don't know if you guys were little kids when that comic came out like i was but at least when it got yeah i guess i was a little kid when it came out X-Men was just, like, game changer. It was like, wow, I actually feel for these superheroes. They actually seem to have some kind of, you know, inner life and hopes and dreams. And they're not just, uh, you know, whatever. Of course, you read that shit as an adult. Chris Claremont's writing, it's pretty awful. And what you thought of as complex, at least two three-dimensional characters, it really was just a bunch of catchphrases that he repeated over and over to give someone a little character so but it's a good idea it's sound and of course you know chris claremont grew up he was working in that time that much was expected of a comic writer except to get from point a to point b and have a lot of fights and maybe you could have a little character stuff every few pages and he definitely ran with that compared to most guys <clears throat> But I want some kind of great, exciting super team like that. You know, probably Outsiders, you know. Just like, uh, you know, the Furies are like our Avengers. Um, I talked about that a few episodes. But this would be like the Outsider superhero group. Like the Doom Patrol or the X-Men. And the name of this is like... I just like the sound of this for a superhero team. Even though it's actually a hardcore band from the early to mid-80s. Uh... I don't even think I ever owned a tape or CD, I'm sorry, record of theirs. I I think I just saw their name in Maximum Rock and Roll when I was a teenager. And I thought, wow, that sounds cool. So the name of this super group is going to be called Omega Tribe. And uh, because it is basically just our X-Men, it's going to be drawn by Dave Cockrum. And if you've ever studied the um, history of the new X-Men, Dave Cockrum, you know, came over from DC. He was working on Legion of Superheroes for years. Created a lot of characters for them. Um, And he was kind of an idea factory. And when he comes over to X-Men, a lot of those new X-Men were new characters. You know, Cyclops was in it and Jean Grey, but most of them were these made-up characters. And Cockrum designed most of them and kind of had the idea for them. He really, Dave Cockrum, you know, not the greatest artist, superhero artist ever. He was pretty damn good, though, in the 70s. Definitely had a nice, appealing style. But he was really good at costume design. I've seen sketches of, uh, you know, character sheets. Dave Cockrum created a lot of amazing superhero costumes, even ones that he didn't draw. Marvel Comics kind of recognized how good he was. And they'd be like, hey, work up this new title, even though you're not drawing it. Draw some costumes. So, you know, Omega Trap, at the very least, would look good. And, of course, we'll have one of our great writers writing it, so it'll read good, too. And uh, so that's that. So we got some artist changes for 1975. And uh, so Crimson Knight is going to have a new artist now. Uh, Alex and Nino will be leaving. And uh, Crimson that will that'll be drawn by Alfredo Alcala. And uh, that's going to be nice. Alcala just made for that kind of shit. Just very illustrative, really good at drawing historical comics. It'll be nice. Um, so Alex Nino is leaving that. Alex Nino is going to take over Thor. So just imagine, just like Sterenko took over Thor last time we told you about, or I think that was last episode. And he's been drawing it since then, since 71. But you know, he's gotta move on. And uh Straco uh, got, got bored easy. He was a genius. So you know he could just stick around. But he's taken Thor into a more op art, crazy, surreal dimension than Kirby did. Just imagine what Alex Nino would do with that. The you know, Asgard and Oh my god. I would love to see that comic. That would be fucking beautiful. So where's Jim Strangco going? This is just too perfect. This is just oh my god! I'm a really good editor. So he's gonna take over Ms. Forty Five, our our pulpy, thirties era comic. Um, and if you know anything about Strangco's career around this time, he was uh, doing like his own pulpy thirties narrative called Chandler. Um, Released decades later by Dark Horse as a as Red Tide, but it's it's the same graphic novel just remastered, and so Strenko did covers for the Shadow, beautiful painted covers for the the books, the um, pulp novels that were re released around that time. He really liked that shit. He 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 did the design work for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Jim Strenko did a lot of the storyboards, production design. He just definitely uh, know, loves the past. So, God, Jim Stranko drawing Miss 45... With all the film noir aspects and the shadows... And that's going to be fucking great. So, Miss 45. I can't remember... Oh, yeah, so... Basically, Mike Kaluta's done his run. No more monthly comics for Mike Kaluta. Just asking him to do two years was a stretch. Of course, he'll still be all over our fucking titles. Lots of covers... Lots of stories and amazing weekly. And maybe doing fill-ins here and there for other comics. Okay, so... Oh, God, this is going to be nice, too. So we got uh, Taking Over the Furies, the man who was born to do an Avengers-type comic. And he did, in our reality, many times. He kept coming back. So the Furies is going to get George Perez. George Perez, by 75, was already getting to be the George Perez that we know and love. And, you know, I, I wanted him to be on even earlier, but to be honest, George Perez wasn't that good in 73 and 74. He was learning his chops. He was a young kid. But by 75, that nerdy superhero style he has that every kid just responds to. He draws a million characters in every page. He loves it. He's a masochist. He always likes team books. Always likes drawing comics with 70 characters fighting and he's really good at it. Um, really good at uh, design. And uh, the way he situates everyone in the panel. It's very clear. And it's really fun stuff. So he's taking over the Furies. He's going to be there for a while. And that's not even a stretch. Because he did love the Avengers. Even so much that he kept coming back. Even decades later. For runs here and there. So, <laughs> excuse me. Because of that. Neil Adams needs a new home. He's been drawing the Furies all this time. And this is going to be fucking nice. Neil Adams is going to take over tour the caveman. All the savage fury and excitement of caveman shit. Caveman fighting and, you know, just savage adventure. I don't know if you've ever seen around this time, Neil Adams did these Tarzan portfolios. I mean, they were coverage for the books. But they released them as portfolios. And these paintings are fucking gorgeous. Like, Neil Adams... Of course he's going to be painting the covers. I want that on each issue. And then the insides, God, just Neil Adams. So great. What a great artist. Oh, God. I'm, uh, I'm getting a little overheated here. I might have to do something about that when this podcast is over. So, um, after that, Starhawk. Oh, God. This year, like everyone, the chickens are coming home to roost basically. Cause every, uh, Artist is taken over a comic he really needs to be on. So Starhawk, which is kind of, even before it was cool, was our cosmic superhero. 1975, he's finally ready for the artist who is going to make him. Jim Starlin. Jim Starlin, the master of cosmic comics, basically invented the genre in the 70s, doing Captain Marvel, doing Warlock. Later on, doing Metamorphosis Odyssey, Dreadstar. Like, I loved science fiction, but with a superhero panache to it. He definitely liked superhero comics. But all of his his best stuff was, like, cosmic, sci-fi, outer space shit. And he was getting away with some trippy shit back in the early 70s. You gotta read that stuff. His Captain Marvel and Warlock, he really snuck some shit by. In fact, he actually had a comic where he really wanted to slip something by. And so the production guys he snuck in at night and convinced them to change the comic code authority seal to the cosmic code so it looked just like the comic code nobody caught it so the comic went out that way and because it didn't have the comic code seal on it they couldn't give him shit about it I'm like oh of course he probably got in trouble after that but his comics were selling so well they didn't really want to fuck with him so man Jim Starlin doing Starhawk he'll be writing and enjoying it Jim Starlin's another one of those 70s writers that was up there with the other, as I mentioned earlier. He was doing some good stuff at the time. So because of that, Rudy Nembrez isn't going to have a home for a few years, unfortunately. We're definitely going to, we're not putting him out to pasture. He'll be drawing lots of stuff for Amazing Tales, Amazing Weekly Fill-Ins, um, you know, whatever. So he'll still be around, and he's going to come back and get a monthly title in a couple of years. So uh, then, after that, we got um, S- Swamp East, our our Swamp Thing ripoff. Around this time, yeah, we can't expect Bernie Wrights to, f- you know, fucking draw a monthly comic that long. He never did, but you know, this is a different universe where, if you can imagine, a comic company that treats its art as well, and gives them respect, they might have. So who knows? But he's leaving. Once again, he'll still be drawing plenty of covers for us, little stories here and there. Definitely be he'll be working in zero zero monthly our, our magazine size, uh you know, fantasy magazine. He'll he'll be all over that shit. So who's gonna take over Swamp East? Mike Plug. Mike Plug, totally unique artist, came around in the 70s, actually was an assistant to Will Eisner when he was a young youngin'. But when he left uh, Eisner's stable, he uh, went over to Marvel and basically did every horror comic. Uh, I don't think he ever did a superhero comic because I think he's one of those guys who didn't like that shit. He didn't want to. So if there was any, all those monster comics in the 70s, the living mummy, I, I can't even, werewolf by night, Morbius the living vampire, man thing. He was all over the place. He just he just liked that shit. So he would be so perfect for Swamp Beast. Um he drew a lot of man things. That was Marvel's version of Swamp Thing in the early seventies. And uh that's gonna be great, a perfect fit. And um So and then the only other change we got that year, nineteen seventy five, is Night Ranger will be taken over by Pat Broderick. And uh Pat Broderick not a lot of people like Pep Broderick, but when I was a little kid, I collected artists. I had like five artists I collected Mike Golden, Pat Broderick, Mike Nasser. How many people remember Mike Nasser? And, uh, wow, I can't even remember the other two. But I think I was the only guy who liked Pep Broderick. He did this shit in Captain Marvel around this time, maybe 76, 77. It was so fucking great. When I was a kid, I just thought it was the best art ever. I look back at it now and realize, nah, but it is pretty fucking great. Paparotter was a journeyman artist for years after that. Definitely the Law of Demission returns by the early mid-80s. He started just getting like, eh, your style is getting too icky or something. Just not as good. But in 1975, he was definitely from that Neil Adams school. He was drawing the shit out of some comics. Um, if you ever have the chance to see an Atlas comic, he did called, uh, oh man, this is embarrassing. Oh, I think his name was Dark Avenger or something. He was like a one-shot backup superhero. And that is 75. That's some fucking great art. And he did Planet of the Vampires for them. Oh, definitely hidden shoulders above most, you know, Marvel DC art at the time. So he's going to take over Night Ranger. That'll be good. Uh, Our Batman. I think Pat Broderick will do it justice. And uh, he's kicking out Jim Apparel, And uh, basically I'm putting Jim Apparel out to pasture. By the mid-70s, uh, I'm sorry. We really don't need him. And uh, he was starting to get not as good. So, yeah, that's it for uh, 75 except for, of course, like I always forget. We've got an Amazing Tales annual that year. So, this one's pretty perfect. Because I'm stealing it from our reality. 1975's Amazing Tales Annual. Frankenstein. By Bernie Wrightson. So, if you guys have ever seen Bernie Wrightson's Frankenstein book. uh, It's not a comic. It's the original text with lots of full page illustrations. Black and white. Pen and ink. It is fucking amazing. It's... It's been around for decades. I keep reissuing it every, I don't know, five, ten years. Because it deserves to be. It's some beautiful shit. Just incredible stuff. And um, I kind of think, yeah, 75 writes in in my book is at the top of his game. I think come the 80s, he didn't have that same joie de vivre. I don't know. Uh, It wasn't the same. So I want him doing Frankenstein in 1975 When he was at the height of his prowess And that's going to be beautiful And you know he's just left uh, Swamp Beast You know in January Or December the year before So he's going to have time To lavish Turn every page into a beautiful work of art Um, I mentioned earlier that we do have You know a book Division uh, you know, amazing comics has an amazing books in print. And uh, most of them are reprints of older stuff. But stuff like this, stuff that that's that's this good, we'll just reprint the shit out of that, you know, immediately. And because uh, I want it to be on good paper and not just a little comic book. So, uh, yeah, I think I covered everything for 1974, 1975, and that's about it. Um, I did want to talk about... um, This podcast is listed as a mental health podcast. Because I don't know how to find comic books as a category and anchor. Maybe there is none. I found visual arts, but that seemed a little vague. And then I figured, yeah, this is more about mental health. This is kind of some sick shit I'm doing. And I don't think even hardcore comic fans would want to listen to me rant about comics that don't even exist so um i I think though i just want to explain um i'm not that much of a suicidal morose guy i know some of my lighter notes make it seem like i'm this perennial sad sack but um i'm not that happy that's for sure but you know it's not like my life is miserable uh i have a job i can stand even though it's pretty terrible I Flip burgers at a fast food chain that sucks. Um, I uh don't really have anyone in my life close, you know, like a girlfriend or or a boyfriend. I kind of don't want one, but even if I like, I used to want one, and there's it rarely happens. I guess, I guess I'm not that appealing a man, but um, you could probably tell by listening to me talk, but uh, basically it's. But life is pretty comfortable, and every day I'm kind of grateful. You know, I didn't grow up in Liberia with child soldiers trying to, you know, assault me with AK-47s and that I've never, you know, been starving. or. So I know, but it is weird, though. I don't know anyone, people with much better circumstances than me, who have really nice jobs that they love and they make a lot of money and they're married and they're in love. They have children that they love, and but nobody I know seems to be happy, and it's just strange that is that how humans are just wired? Like we just can't be happy, because when you consider, like, even though I am this loser by our standards, and I am not being like poo pooing on myself, really. I mean, I am a fifty three year old man who make, makes slightly more than minimum wage flipping burgers, and I live in the filthy apartment with lots of comic books so i know where i am on the strata on the totem pole but when i consider that I, I live better than so many people in the world and especially when you look back in time it's like i live better than king henry the eighth that fucker never tasted nutella he doesn't know what a ben and jerry's cookie dough ice cream tastes like he doesn't never had sushi he uh never could listen to i don't know the ramones or any band put in your favorite band there so i don't know it's i i do get it i'm grateful but uh i think we're all in that same boat we're just like it's so fucking hard to be happy and it doesn't make sense like human i think we're basically badly wired robots the human race there's something fucked up about us where it's no matter what we get and i got barely anything but i know it's pretty nice not to be shot at or you know assaulted or you know be safe and well fed and have a roof over your head but um yeah, I came up with a word. Uh, I have this really great friend, and she loves words. She owns a Oxford English Dictionary, like the big, giant one. It's like 50 pounds. You need a magnifying glass because the words are so tiny. And her friend gave her a homework assignment once when she was leaving for vacation. And she said, you have to make five words up before I get back. And she told me some words she made up, you know, by putting Latin roots together and stuff. And so I came up with a word... And it really, I think it's a word that we all need to use, and it's called subsist. And it's only a coincidence that it sounds like sucks. I, I wasn't even planning that. It's basically just taking subsist and exist and shoving them together. And if you look up in this, you know, if this was a word, the dictionary definition would be um, the realization... That your life isn't nearly as good as you hoped it would be when you were a kid, and the dreams you had are so far from being realized. And yet, at the same time, realizing that you live better than 99 percent of all humans who have ever lived. And I'm talking to even people like me who are pretty lame are my life. But yeah, like I said, I live better than any king. Those guys fucking had all these nasty diseases. If they had a toothache, they just had to live in pain. They didn't even have, didn't even have good dentistry then. So, uh, yeah, that's basically, uh just want to explain that. Um, I get it. I'm grateful. Believe me, I'm grateful. But I think uh, I'm just uh, ec- um, not echoing. I'm voicing what almost everyone feels like. At least all my friends, (laughs) everyone I know, no one seems that fucking happy. And they should be. Because life is pretty fucking easy when you grew up in North America. And you're kind of either, at least not on the poverty level. Well, I'm on the poverty level technically, but I have an apartment. And I'm not hungry. And uh, I can afford booze. So uh, even though I'm very frugal, it's a pretty uh, month-to-month existence. But I'm, I'm making it. Fifty three. Still haven't been homeless. Could happen. I could break my arm, and then I'll be. Then I'll fucking know depression. That's when I'm, I'll know that I'll have a real reason to be sad. So uh, yeah, there you go. Mental health podcast. Finally get around to that part of it. I don't think we'll talk about it again because it's not as fun as talking about the amazing comics group. So if you have any comments, give me a call. Or, I'm sorry, send me a text. But I guess you could call me, too. 503-880-4545. I'd love to hear your fantasies, comic book fantasies, and your comments. Okay, until next time. Signing out.